All right, we are back. We're meaning to uh, bring on um, the bees, Tom Newton, to talk about his excellent piece on um, on the excessive killing of animals done by the so-called Federal Wildlife Service. But we've been held up uh, on this endeavor by the fact that yours truly has not gotten off his ass to contact Mr. Newton to ask him to come on the show. If you happen to be listening, Tom Newton, I'll call you. Seriously, that was a great piece. We do want to talk about it, and we'll see what we can do. I guess I also have to confess that I still haven't gotten up to the lotus area to look for carbonaceous chondrites, owing to other responsibilities. Anybody got any stories about meteorite hunting? If you do, drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Here's three disturbing stories from the world of science. First off, researchers at the University of Hawaii sent divers on 1,600 underwater surveys to count reef sharks living near 46 Pacific Islands. They found that shark numbers have decreased by 90% over the past several decades in the vicinity of the most populated islands, including the main Hawaiian Islands and American Samoa. This finding supports other studies that suggest that large sharks are being butchered in record numbers around the globe, in part to feed an increasing demand for shark fin soup considered a delicacy in China and other Asian countries. The U.S. prohibits shark fishing in some of the waters researchers surveyed, but illegal fishing appeared to be commonplace. I note with a great deal of disgust that um, a Chinese restaurant located in my neighborhood does have shark fin soup on the menu, and there's going to have to be some confrontation over that. Stay tuned for follow-up on that. How about this one? There's a question of whether uh, wind farms are raising temperatures. Apparently a study by Liming Zhao, what's described as the University of Albany, State University of New York, where Mr. Zhao and colleagues studied land surface temperature data gathered by NASA's Terra and Aqua satellites, which give measurements with a spatial resolution of about one square kilometer. They matched this to data on the location of the 2,358 wind turbines in west central Texas and found, guess what? The square kilometer around a wind turbine was on the average 0.5 degrees centigrade warmer than the rest of the region. They say these turbines mix warmer air that sits at their apex with cooler air at ground level. Overall, the wider region did not warm up, but it was warmer closer to the ground. We have to remember with all these alternative energy sources, there's a price to pay. And a new study by the CDC shows that more than 40 million workers in the U.S. get less than the minimum of six hours of sleep per night. That's, of course, what doctors recommend. They conclude that nearly one in three American workers is sleep-deprived, and the resulting epidemic of drowsiness is causing serious injuries and health problems. Peace in the Week quotes psychologist and sleep expert Michael Bress telling WebMD.com that if you hit the snooze button more than twice, you're probably sleep-deprived. As I believe we've noted on this program in the past, a lack of sleep has been linked to an increasing risk of obesity, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes. Of course, it can also impair attention and short-term memory and poses particularly dangerous problems for medical workers and those driving and operating heavy machinery. Hello? Researchers estimate that sleepiness causes 20% of traffic accidents. Think about that one, 20%? And it plays a role in thousands of fatal on-the-job mishaps every year. 
I do remember those days back in medical training when, boy, you were sleep deprived. I was so sleep deprived one November, I think I voted for Ronald Reagan. Speaking of asleep at the switch, how about this piece from the LA Times reprinted the B a couple weeks back, Roseanne Gia and Diana Markham, about how someone apparently grafted a pomelo, a citrus fruit considered a symbol of good fortune and prosperity in many Asian cultures, is thought to be the likely source of the state's first documented case of Huang Glong Bing, a citrus disease with no known cure. Noted the piece, until last month, California was the last major citrus-growing region in the world to avoid this scourge, which has decimated groves in China, Brazil, and Florida. The disease arrived the way experts had long predicted, in a tree in a Southern California yard. Officials say the disease is, is moving north and threatening the $2 billion industry based in our Central Valley. This is the kind of thing people are supposed to work to keep out. In this case, it appears that, yes, it was a smuggled tree that brought in the disease. I think there's a lesson for all of us in this. If you're going to smuggle pomelos, please make sure it does not have Huang Long Bing. Of course, the best rule is always, just don't smuggle pomelos. Let's do a couple of obituaries. Carol Shelby passed away last week. He was the charismatic Texan who parlayed a short-lived racing career into a specialized business building high-performance that is to say, huge, engined street-legal cars, died last Thursday. He was 89. Now, one of our correspondents on this program, Steve Alexander, used to drive a, uh, a Shelby-designed Mustang back in the 70s. We need to bring him on and talk about uh, driving through Niles Canyon at 100 miles an hour. And it's sad to note that I, that I took part in that lunk-headed expedition. In the obits, uh, Leslie Kendall, curator of the Peterson Automotive Museum in L.A., noted that Shelby led a colorful, outsized life that touched virtually every corner of the automotive world. He was the only individual to influence the designs of all three major American automakers. Kendall said everything he touched became legendary. Apparently, according to the obit, while trying to fend off a heart attack, he drove in a 200-mile race in 1960 with nitroglycerin pills underneath his tongue, finishing third at Laguna Seca Raceway in Monterey. Said Shelby, if I hadn't slowed down each time I popped one of those pills, I might have won. And we note uh, the passing of bogus biographer Charles Higgum. Noted the Week magazine, Higgum never let the truth get in the way of a good story. In his 1980s book, Errol Flynn, The Untold Story, this celebrity biographer claimed to have found FBI papers proving that Errol Flynn was a Nazi spy. Widely denounced, Higgum duggedly stuck, stuck by his claims. His work as a film journalist in Sydney, Australia, brought him to Hollywood, said The Hollywood Reporter. They noted that his first biography, The Films of Orson Welles, was slammed by director Peter Bogdanovich as, quote, an illustrated textbook on how to criminally impair an artist's career, unquote. I wish we'd thought to ask Norman Lloyd about that one. Higgum apparently wrote two dozen more books on everyone from Cary Grant to Howard Hughes. He painted Cary Grant as a miserly closeted homosexual and <laughs> suggested that Howard Hughes was implicated in the Watergate scandal. Higgum shrugged off accusations of inaccuracy. He said, quote, people who say they know their subject are just being ridiculous. Yeah, accuracy, schmaccuracy. Radio Parallax. Douglas Everett. That'd be me. 
This is your sidekick, Stephen Alexander, and I'm calling because I wanted to, uh, you know, maybe embellish, but also correct the story on the uh, the the race. Well, by all means, first correct, then embellish. Okay. Well, first of all, you need to understand two things: the vehicle involved and the roadway. The roadway is Highway 92 between Sonol Golf Course along 680. It goes through the Alameda County Water District, yes. and it goes flying through down Alameda Creek and right exits right in Niles, which is where Charlie Chaplin used to uh, Chaplin used to uh, film at Vallejo Mill. It's a historic site. Yes. And this roadway, if this roadway was anywhere else, I mean, it's as good as Laguna Seca. <laughs> Um, the problem is, it's in you know, it's in a town. But Mr. Alexander, I don't think we should be we should be effusively praising the art of driving ninety miles an hour through canyons. Yes. Now the vehicle involved was a 1966 Shelby GT350, <laughs> and 1966 is important because it's the last year that Carroll Shelby was actually making these vehicles with Ford. It had a Borg Warner T10 transmission, four speed. It had. 315 horsepower and a 289 cubic inch engine, a 780 Holly, a 780 Holly carburetor, and the car was a rocket. A rocket. And I'd be willing to bet, if I may interject a moment, I believe people hanging around the Webster Emerson dorm area about 1972 may remember this vehicle. Well, that's another story. That's when I went up over the curb and slid on the first rain pavement and whacked into another vehicle in the student parking. But anyway, back to the race. <laughs> So my buddy and I, Steve, his last name starts with a P, we're like flying through Niles Canyon at about 10.30 at night. Racing? No, we're just flying through. Oh. He and I are just, you know, flying through, listening to an eight-track tape, probably Strange Days by the Door, something like that. And uh, we're flying through Niles Canyon. We get to snow. We turn around. His family lived in Niles up on Mission Boulevard. So anyway, we're coming back. We're flying through Niles Canyon, ranging speeds of like 10 miles an hour on the hairpin turn under the railroad trestle, 1930s vintage, and up into the S-turns, probably 85, 90 miles an hour. So we're flying along, and all of a sudden, right at the intersection of Niles Canyon and Palomares Canyon Road, an Alameda County Sheriff is going in the opposite direction, and before I even take my foot off the gas, I see that he has slammed on his brakes and is turning around. Now, my buddy Steve P. and I were both Eagle Scouts, my dad was the mayor of the town that I lived in down there at the time and a prominent professional. And uh, my girlfriend's dad was a prominent professional. I don't want to give out any more information than that. I looked at my buddy Steve, and he looked at me, and he said, Hey, it looks good for me. It's got to be good for you. And I said, You got it. I downshifted the second. Boom. RPMs go up to about 7,500 per minute. And we are flying. And, and it's do or die. It's like we've gone over the edge. This guy's either going to catch up with us and arrest us, or we are gone. So we fly through all the S-turns. We downshift and downshift and go under the railroad trestle. We come flying out towards the intersection of Niles Canyon Mission Boulevard, right next to Bobo's, Bobo's Hamburger Stand, where all the Hells Angels used to hang out. We get the green. Boom. We flip the left on Mission Boulevard. We fly into the intersection of CB. Park in front of his house, turn the lights off and light up a cigarette, and we look at each other and just go, criminy. Of course, we use different words. It was like, could you believe that, dude? That was awesome. <laughs> That's the story. Listeners, please, this man's a professional. Don't try this on your own. <laughs> Actually, I lost a very good buddy in Niles Canyon. He was, what was his name? George something or other. He was flying through Niles Canyon, one of those Dodge. Those big giant Hemi Dodge things, the orange car that they used to have on that Dukes of Hazzard thing, he was flying through there, except he was going about 120. 
and he lost it, went off the ravine down into Alameda Creek. He started to fly out of his car when the left door opened up, but then the door hit a tree and it closed on him. It was extremely sad, really sad. Do you want to hear about the BB gun fight down by Mallory at the airport? I got in a BB gun fight with a guy. He had a rifle, I had a pistol, and I got my ass kicked by this guy shooting me. I got home, I looked like I'd been bit by wasps. My mom and dad go, what the hell happened? I said, I just got in a gunfight. <laughs> well, it does remind me of the time I, I suggested that Jim Keller, he could shoot me when they asked with his BB gun because I wanted to see what it felt like. And um, it stings quite a bit, actually, more than you th- more than you'd think. Are you still recording that? Yeah, we're, I, I'm sad to say we are, yes. Here's a teaser. Little buddy Jim, 14 years old, hooks up with his little buddy friend, uh, um, uh, uh, Mike. Mike's dad's a battalion chief in the police department, I mean, in the fire department, and has got a fire, you know, an unmarked fire car with lights and siren. They're out for dinner in their Rambler or something. Jim and his buddy hop in the car and go lights and siren from Mission San Jose down Paseo Padre Parkway all the way to Maori. Turn around, lights and siren, all the way back, put the car in the garage and turn it off. I think they, they were probably like 15, but they didn't have their driver's license. <laughs> Unbelievable. Steve Alexander, thanks for helping out. Hey, I'm glad to be here to be able to help out. I'll see you later. All right. Bye, guys. All right, that about does it for time. This, this program was produced by Edward McMillan. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks go out to the immortal Norman Lloyd, as well as our assistants in Los Angeles, Bruce Bronstein, Gail Murphy, and Sharon Dial. And a final thanks once again to the man that gave this correspondent the idea of doing radio 11 years ago, Steve Alexander. We'll see you next week at the same time. Yeah.